Well, we are glad that you're here with us today. It's good to see some faces we haven't seen in a while. It's good to see some new faces. This morning, we're going to have a little bit of a family conversation about where we are and where we're going. And I am excited uh, just for us to be able to be together. Deidre's headed back out. I want you to know she's been working triple time this morning. We had a parent meeting, had our first parent meeting this morning, which... Um, will eventually become a monthly parent meeting as we partner with parents to disciple their kids and um, get some feedback, how is it going, give some resources, some encouragement, and then uh, we are going to continue to have an increasing number of online resources for you to use at home with your kids. So we have a number of people that are coming into worship. We have a number of people that are still kind of waiting. Uh, We kicked off kids ministry, which is not really a kickoff. It's more of a soft opening for our kids ministry this morning. Uh, we, Many of you have said, yeah, we'll help and get things going. We've encouraged uh, many of you that don't have kids that are babies through first grade um, that you could help over this transitional period because some of these parents are done, right? It's been a year. Uh, so they need some time away, but many of them are volunteering as well. So far, uh, it looks like we have enough volunteers to do a couple of weeks a month. So that means that right now, the first and third um, Sunday of the month, we're going to continue to provide childcare for babies through first grade as more volunteers, which I expect will get involved. And as some of our volunteers are waiting to come back and they either get vaccinated or uh, they feel safer getting their kids out, they're going to get involved as well. So that's going to continue to grow, and we are going to continue to move to more robust ministries in person. Uh, but we are still transitioning. So we hope that you'll bear with us. And as we continue to move forward in that, uh, Deidre's also doing check-in this morning, and I've heard from more than one of you that I could probably not do a sermon and just let her handle the sermon from now on, which I don't disagree with you. Leslie's one of them. You are not the only one. I will tell you that um, that has texted me and said, "You know, you're all right, Mark, but you know, I know I'm married up." So I'm excited about a lot of things that are coming. Um, I'm excited for cases to continue to drop, and we're going to pray that they do continue to do that. Uh, we are somewhat hopeful that by the end of this month, if cases and hospitalizations continue to decline that we're going to we might do away with masks um, but we are waiting to see so don't hold me to that but i know a lot of folks don't like to wear them i don't like to wear them but we do want to be um, as safe and careful as we can all right so i've got a few things i want to talk with you about we started this series this is our fifth week talking about rise up and kind of our core verse that we've been going through is a verse about Uh, overcoming suffering and struggle. And the reality is we don't like to talk about suffering and struggle because if we're honest, suffering and struggle is a regular part of our lives, isn't it? Why would we want to talk about it? Why would we want to spend any more time on something that we go through? But the truth is, is that life is not lived free of struggle. In fact, some of the very best things in life require struggle for you to experience them fully. And we kind of stay away from them because we want you to come and feel good and be excited. But that Jesus didn't stay away from it. His disciples didn't stay away from it. And so as we are rising up from a struggle and we are coming out of this pandemic, we recognize that there are still some challenges that we face. Now, we celebrated Easter last, last week. We had a, a great 
uh, crowd. We've got to see a lot of faces we haven't seen in a while. And it is, quite honestly, the week that we as Christians focus the most on resurrection. But that is because we ourselves are so used to the resurrection story that we don't often talk about it outside of the context of Easter weekend or Holy Week. But this was not the situation with those first believers. They literally talked about the resurrection every time they got together, which just as Deidre was posing to to our kids this morning, what would you do if someone that you saw die came back to life? What would you do? What would happen to you if someone you really cared about was killed and then they walked out of the grave? The reality is for them, it so transformed and changed them that later Peter would say, we can't stop talking about this because of what we've seen and heard. It is so overwhelming, we have to tell people about this. I then have to look in the mirror and ask myself, when is the last time I felt so overwhelmed by the transforming power of Christ that I had to tell somebody about it because of what I've seen or heard And the truth is we have often become so comfortable with the fact that this is something we talk about that happened, but we are so removed from it, we forget how important it is. Those early believers didn't forget that. And that's why we're spending several weeks talking about different resurrection stories. And today what I want to share with you is I I talked a few weeks ago about a clip from Jordan Peterson. I want to show that to you in just a few minutes. People that do not profess to be Christians, having significant experiences with God and talking about them, using different language, yet when we listen to the words that they're saying and we see the heart with which they give them, we cannot go away with any other evaluation other than they have experienced something real. So what I want to talk with you about today is what does it look like to live within the resurrection every day? Day, Not just at Easter, not just on those times of the year that we're supposed to talk about it, but instead every day we are living in this power. I will admittedly tell you I cannot teach this from the experience of I feel like every day I live in this power. But I do believe this is where we are supposed to go. And I do experience it. I want you to as well. Last week we talked about... Two disciples that had walked with Jesus and this bigger group of disciples that had been followers of Jesus and yet they were unhappy with how things had turned out. They were on their way back to Ephesus and interestingly, two of the first people that Jesus goes and talks to and spends time with after he's resurrected are these two disciples who are going back who have simply said we had hoped that he was going to be the Redeemer. We looked at the reality that what he was hoping for or what they were hoping for were that Jesus was going to come and relieve them from their oppressors, which at the time was Rome, which would be normal to expect because this is Passover week, the day that they recognized Moses was their great redeemer that brought them out of Egypt and they were celebrating at Passover the deliverance from Pharaoh. So maybe this Jesus, he's saying something's happening this weekend, this is a big deal, everything's coming together. Maybe they're going to deliver us from the Romans because we're tired of being oppressed by the Romans. And yet Jesus instead willingly lets himself be arrested, tortured, and killed, and they think it's all over. We had high hopes for him. 
I asked you the question, do we see Jesus as close to us as he really is? He is always around. For them, it took a while to see it. Did you know the same power, this is what Scripture tells us, the same power that brought Jesus back from the dead is at work in you if you are a believer. I don't want us to talk about just things to believe. But what does it mean to experience this power in which God has given us something? But that same power raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 8.11 says, And the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. In other words, if you have the Spirit, it is the very same Spirit that brought Him back from death. Do you live your life in, in a perpetual sense that you have the power of resurrection within you? Now, we could go around and ask, and most, if not all of us, would say, no, I really don't. I don't feel powerful. I don't feel like that power that can bring somebody back from the dead is doing anything in me. In fact, I feel very insignificant. I I question sometimes if I'm even really a believer. One of the reasons we do that is because we have not yet fully believed what the Bible tells us about ourselves and about what Christ wants us to do in us. Do you feel powerful? I will tell you, this has been my struggle for the last 20 years. One of the things I believe is that Jesus radically changed me. Do any of you have that same testimony? Do you feel that Jesus has radically changed you? I know I've heard many of your testimonies and I know that you feel that way. I'm not the same person I was. I am not going to be the same person tomorrow that I was today. I'm confident in that. I believe in that. I've experienced too much not to believe that. For the last 20 years, I've struggled with what is the authentic, powerful life of a Christian. We fake it a lot. As we're coming out of this pandemic, we, we, we can't fake it, right? When you're coming out of struggle and hardship, you just that meter that goes off in within you that says, yeah, they're faking it, it goes off extra loud. When we give platitudes and we tell people, oh, Jesus is going to make everything okay, to a person who is in the midst of struggle, that is meaningless. Do we as followers of Jesus believe that he's doing something supernatural within us? Are we transforming into something else? Or are we really just the same people with a different vocabulary and a little different weekend schedule? Are we changing? Can people see within us change? One of the reasons we fake it is because we do believe it, but we don't feel it, and we want other people to think what we think and hope they experience more than we're actually experiencing. So we fake it. We put on a mask. We pretend. We don't want anyone to know our faults and our failures and how we have we struggle with temptation and with sin because if you're a believer who watches Jesus die on the cross and walk out of the grave, you are less concerned about what people think about your sin because you've just seen the Redeemer walk out of the grave and your sin has lost its power over you. But we hide. We pretend 
we go through life. And the reality is none of us are good enough at pretending to get away with it forever. We're eventually found out. And really what's worse is when we look in the mirror, we often feel that we're not the real deal. How are we, do real, how are we the real deal? What I believe, and this is part of the family conversation that I want to have with you this morning, I believe we are experiencing, and I'm not the only one, a massive change in the way people approach faith. Skepticism is growing, for sure. And I will tell you as a recovering skeptic, it is growing. You can see it. If you're also a recovering skeptic, you can smell it. But what's also growing is this interest in something beyond what we can see with our eyes. There's an interest that's growing in people that are saying, you know what, I'm not, I'm not for the platitudes. I'm not for just doing the schedule. I'm not for just saying I'm a Christian because uh, there's really no benefit in that for me. But if there is something real and something true, that is what I need. And now more than probably any other times in your or my life, this is the time for us to show what is true and what is real and not what is fake. As I've said, I've struggled with this for the last 20 years. Authentic expressions of faith, seeing God do things that only God could have done and can only be attributed to Him. I have friends from all kinds of different backgrounds and denominations and Christian upbringings and we, we have all different beliefs about how God still works today. And I talk with some of my friends who are big on healing services. And I love the idea of a healing service. I love seeing pictures of people that they're crippled and now they're no longer crippled. But I'm a skeptic. I reach out to my friends who have this go on in their churches and I say, listen, can you set up a meeting with me and this person? I want to hear from them. I want to see this miracle that has happened in their lives. And they never take me up on it. We were having this conversation. We were at the beach this last week and it was really good. I'm going to Try not to go long, but you know, when you're rested up, you get ready to go. I'm a little ready to go this morning. And we were just talking with Emma, and uh, we were talking about just just expressions of faith. I don't even know how the conversation came up. And, oh, I remember. We had some events this week that happened in Chattanooga while we were away. We were just talking about them and what does it look like. And I was just telling her the thing about healing stories and and when we try to attribute this power to things that can't hold the weight of truth, like if I'm crippled and I've been crippled my whole life and I go to a service and I'm healed, what am I going to do? I, I, they're here. So let's modern 21st century. I've already been to the doctor many times and I, can you heal me from my crippling whatever? I've been there, and they've got a medical record open for me. And they can say, yeah, well, you've got this problem going on, and, and we can't correct it, so you're just kind of stuck. If I then go and I have an experience with Jesus that heals whatever that crippling problem is, do you know what I do next? I go back to the doctor. Hey, I need an exam. 
What has happened to me? And then you know who I'm going to be talking to? Literally every person on the face of the planet. I'm going to be on the news. I'm going to write a book. This is not for me to say that Jesus doesn't heal miraculously. He does. And sometimes we do see people that can say, listen, this is... This is the file for my doctor before, and this is the file for my doctor after. That is a a real miracle of God that just in the Old Testament and in the New gives credibility to God's power and the reality of who he is. But if we fake it, we actually push people away from faith. I don't know who fakes it and who doesn't. I haven't made that my life journey. I've done plenty of faking in my life. What does it look like to have real power in your life right now? What does this look like to have this experience with God that can be attributed to nothing else but that the supernatural has touched your life where you are right now? It may look like a supernatural healing, or it may not. It may look like some manifestation of the Spirit, and it may not. The disciples struggled with these questions too. They struggled with these issues that we have where we sometimes see God work and we wonder, is he going to work in our lives? Or sometimes we look at him and we think, God, I just I need you to do a miracle here, but the miracle we want him to do is not the miracle that he wants to do. That's the situation with our friends from last week. Interestingly, this was not just for those two, but the rest of the disciples struggled with this as well. And we read that, well, Jenny read that. It says in Acts 1.6, when they came together, they asked him, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Which in their minds, what that really means is, is this the time that you're going to overthrow the Romans? And now we're going to see this miracle that you're going to make Israel a strong superpower again? They misunderstood. And Jesus' response was not, oh yeah, absolutely. Or, hey, lower your expectations a little bit. Those are not his responses. His response is this. You are going to receive power. And while we know what happens next, they do not. What would happen next in your life if you experienced this power? Does this power still really happen for us? Has it changed? I'm going to show you this clip, and I want to introduce it first. So, Many of you know who Jordan Peterson is. He is a staunch political conservative. He is a psychologist. He is a uh, college professor. Um, he makes the rounds on a lot of conservative shows because... He tends to focus on issues that conservatives tend to like, his his kind of narrative story of the world, that story in which we are supposed to live our lives by is based on morality, what is right and wrong. And what he's going to do as he enters into this clip, he's talking with um, a guy, Jonathan, Jonathan Pajot, I don't even know that's how you say his last name, but he is an Eastern Orthodox believer who makes, he's an artist. He creates wooden and stone icons for the Eastern Orthodox Church and has been commissioned by some of the largest churches in the world to do artwork for their churches. 
Uh, he's talking to Jordan Peterson, who for the most part says, I'm an atheist and I don't believe. And yet he is talking about this same struggle where it's not fake and it's not platitudes and it's not just a statement of beliefs, but there's this reality that touches the world that I cannot explain. And he's going to talk about these two worlds that collide, the narrative and the objective world. The objective world is that world that we see with our eyes. It doesn't matter what we believe about them. They are what they are, right? I would like to think of myself as a 20-something handsome celebrity that everyone wants to be around. I can think that all I want. I am none of those things, right? The objective world is what is and what is true. It doesn't matter what you want it to be. It is what it is. And the narrative world is that story by which we think you are supposed to live your life by. And he's going to say... For him, that has always been morality. But as he probes deeper into where does that story come from, he's going to say there are times in his life in which the objective world and the narrative world, they touch and it is undeniable that there is something bigger going on than just when I can see with my eyes. So what I want you to hear from this clip is what he, how he describes this realization and then what response it causes within him. If this is true, let's just watch this clip. To some degree, the conscience can be viewed as the voice of reciprocal society within, and that's a perfectly reasonable biological explanation. But, but the thing is, is the deeper you go into biology, the more it shades into something that appears to be religious because you start analyzing the fundamental structure of the psyche itself, and, and it becomes something... Well, it becomes something with a with with a with a with with a power that transcends your ability to resist it. Hmm. So, okay, so you can think about Christ from a psychological perspective, and the, the critic, the critic, my critic, this particular critic that I've been reading, said, "Well, that that doesn't differentiate Christ much from a whole sequence of dying and resurrecting mythological gods." And of course, people have made that claim in comparative religion. Joseph Campbell did that, and Jung to a lesser degree, I would say, but Campbell did that. But the difference, and C.S. Lewis pointed this out as well, the difference between those mythological gods and Christ was that there's a, there's a representation of, there's a historical representation of his, of, of his existence as well. Now, you can debate whether or not that's genuine, you can debate about whether or not he actually lived and whether there's credible objective evidence for that, but it doesn't matter in some sense because this, well, it does, but there's a sense in which it doesn't matter because there's still a historical story. And so what you have in the figure of Christ is an actual person who actually lived plus a myth. And in some sense, Christ is the union of those two things. The problem is, is I probably believe that but I don't know. Okay. I don't. I'm amazed at my own belief, and I don't understand it. Like, because I've seen. Sometimes. The objective world. And the narrative world touch. You know that's union synchronicity. Yeah. And I've seen that many times in my own life. And so in some sense, I believe it's undeniable. You know, we have a narrative sense of the world. 
for me, that's been the world of morality. That's the world that tells us how to act. It's real. Like we treat it like it's real. It's not the objective world. But the narrative and the objective world touch. And the ultimate example of that in principle is supposed to be Christ. But I don't know what to, and that seems to me oddly plausible. Yeah. Well, but I still don't know what to make of it. It's too, it, partly because it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed it. He ends with this statement, it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed it. You know, what would happen if we believed that God himself and three persons created the whole world? What would happen if we believed that Jesus, as John tells us, is the one that when God spoke, Jesus created all things? What? What would happen if we really believed that Jesus was the Son of God and He walked in this earth and He died on a cross and He walked out of a tomb? What would we do if we believed that a person that truly believes that and follows Jesus has God Himself living within them, empowering them with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead if we really believed that, could we fake it? We wouldn't have to, would we? And I love his response to this. If you really believed it, it is terrifying. And what he goes on to say, and this is a great podcast, it's a long podcast, it's like an hour and a half if you want to listen to it. They have lots of really great conversations and and Jonathan Pajot, he has some really great insights just into faith and how faith interacts with what he's talking about with the psyche and conscience and the objective and narrative world. It's really a great conversation if you want to, want to watch the whole thing. But he goes on to say, if I really believed it, it terrifies me because that means that it would ultimately transform me. I would not be the same. And that is what is terrifying. The only time it's terrifying is if we don't want to be different. I think one of the reasons he's going through this, if you follow him, I'm not a big follower of Jordan Peterson. I, I saw this clip, and I, so I started doing some digging into him. And in the last few years, he has gone through significant chronic pain. So he's, he's now in chronic pain. If he looks kind of uh, you know unhealthy, it's because he is. There was a, a point in which he was going through different treatments to try to deal with his chronic pain, that he, they had to resuscitate him. He died, and they had to resuscitate him. Those types of experience, those types of struggling and suffering experiences cause you to look at the world differently. So if you have been able to skirt the world, which is why it's the... This is why parents are so important in the discipleship of their kids. Your kids do experience suffering. But not like you do when you become an adult and you've lived some life. It causes you to ask different questions, to look at the world differently. Not to embrace suffering as in, this is the way of Christ, is to suffer. But instead, the suffering itself opens our eyes to a reality of life that we've missed. We've just skated through and everything's gone just fine. 
Whether we're talking about this, we talked about Russell Brand a few weeks ago, and while he himself, you have to really pin him down if he's a Christian or not. He says, yes, I am a Christian, but yet his beliefs are kind of all over the place. But when he talks about what God has done in his life as a result of the suffering from drug addiction that he went through, you listen, and I just, it's like, this is, I mean, I know people who've gone to church their whole life that doesn't get it this deeply. God is doing something. There is power when people see that it's real. And it's hard for some of us who grew up in the South, and I'm one of them, when it has become culturally acceptable. We don't really have to believe because enough people we know believe we can live in what we kind of think is whether this is true or not. I can just believe it. I wanted to share this clip with you because when we're talking about the power of resurrection, if we really believe it, it changes us. People see that change in us. You know, it's interesting. Jesus didn't say, people will begin to follow me if you teach them the right things. He didn't say that. He did tell us to teach the right things, but he's not. he didn't ever said, this is why they're going to follow me. They, he, he said things like, they're going to know that you know me by the way you love each other. You're going to be empowered to go out and you're going to tell people about this magnificent thing that happened and it is harder for us today. We read Paul a few weeks ago in which Paul was able to say, hey, there were 500 people that saw Jesus after he walked out of the tomb. You can go talk to them right now. There, a lot of them are still alive. You can go have a conversation with them. We don't have those people today. So what does that transforming power look like to us if we didn't watch him walk out of the tomb? I just, man, this statement by Peterson, I don't know what would happen if you fully believed it. What would happen to us? We have all kinds of tricks and schemes and ways to get people to attend to church but that doesn't that just always i mean i don't want to say it always disappoints like you're already disappointed you're here you know that's the best sermon ever to have a preacher say that don't you already wish you weren't here you know but don't they eventually disappoint because they can't hold our hope because hope requires power It's not enough to simply say, well, I believe these things are true if we don't experience them ourselves. As he said, it's just a terrifying reality to truly believe. This is what the Bible says will happen if we really believe. And these are all attributed, all three of these are attributed to Paul. 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Like You're something different. You're not just adjusted. You become something different. As we talked before, a literal translation to this is you are becoming a new creation. Not like today I became a believer and now I'm complete. I mean, in some ways you are. But I'm still growing. I've been a believer most of my life. I'm still growing. I'm becoming a new creation. But the old has passed away, the new has come. He says a couple of chapters before that in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, we and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. That means we are not what we were. We're becoming something else. We are being transformed. 
and to the same image from one degree of glory to another, which literally what he's saying here is, like, when we're transformed, we don't get transformed into all kinds of different things. Like, we all get transformed into the same thing, which is the image of Christ. We become more like him. We begin to talk like him and act like him and do the things he did and go the places he go. We don't get crucified to die for the sins of the world, but we become more like him. Do we mimic that to the world around us? Do we look like we are more like Christ today? In Romans 12, 2, he says, don't be conformed to this world. He says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, which means there's a way that we think that has to change. And what catalyst would cause that more than a dead man coming back to life? We have to change the way we think. What does it mean to really be transformed? If you grew up when I did, to be transformed looks something like this, because this is my childhood, right? Right? But even when they transform, do they really become something else? Not really. If you look up transformation, do a Google image search on transformation, you're more than likely going to find an image that looks something like this. That's a transformation, right? But he's still the same person. Interesting that if you do a Google image search for transformation... This is, you'll see like thousands of these images because when we think about transformation, we think about weight loss. That's how SEO works. We think about weight loss. We're not talking about like our hearts change. We're talking about our looks change. Sometimes that's our problem. Transformation would look more, maybe something like this next image where one thing seems to become another, right? but I don't want to sprout wings. I mean, sometimes I think that would be cool. I'm not going to lie. I'd love to fly, but what does it mean to be transformed? How is this possible? Let me share a couple of things about how this is possible, and this is all we have time for today. John 16, Jesus is talking, and he's kind of telling people, preparing them, like a transformation's coming. You still think it's the nation of Israel being liberated from Rome, but, but it doesn't actually happen before Israel is just demolished as a nation. It, it, things get worse after the resurrection for Israel, right? It's not until 1965 that, you know, 2,000 years later that Israel even becomes a sovereign nation again. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Or if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you. You can't bear them all now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will make what is mine and declare it to you. This Holy Spirit is going to change the way we see the world, change the way we see ourselves, change the way we function 
in the world and not just because that's what we're supposed to do because this is what the Holy Spirit does in a person who believes. We will change. Peter says that the world we live in is both empowered by the Holy Spirit. In other words, none of that's possible without the Holy Spirit, but it's also a result of our own efforts, both of them together. Like the fruit of the Spirit, like I want to be self-controlled. Well, self-controlled is a fruit of the Spirit, which means the Spirit causes that within you. I can, I can work on being disciplined, but the kind of self-control or goodness or kindness, gentleness, faithfulness that's talked about as a fruit of the Spirit can only come as a result of the Spirit. We can't manifest it. We can't fake it. We can pretend and we can kind of work our way towards it, and maybe if we work really hard, one day we can actually live it, but then the next day we're back to where we were. This is what Peter says in in 2 Peter 1. He says, His divine power, just talking about the power of God, His divine power has granted to us all things that that pertain to life and godliness through this knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. In other words, I am going to give my glory and excellence to you. That's part of what Christ is doing. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That means your, divine, your nature is transformed. It's kind of, I don't know, maybe retro-transformed. Because really what he's doing is he's taking us back to where we were before all the stuff happened in the garden. What he intended for us. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. I love this. Supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and ours increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We change. So let me let me end with this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. If you grew up in a, in a religious tradition like I did that didn't like to talk about the Holy Spirit and felt like the Holy Spirit was often abused, then you were really focused on behavior modification. We modify our behavior to act right. And if we act right enough, we eventually maybe get to go to heaven. But that is really not the gospel. The gospel is is that we were unable in and of ourselves to be saved from this world, from this brokenness, this suffering, struggle, this sin that we find ourselves since Adam and Eve ate of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. Most people don't have to be convinced of sin in their lives. Like, let's be honest, I'm not going to talk about it, but I know it's there, right? Most people, whether you're a believer or not, they recognize they have impulses and and drives that are not good, and they hurt other people, and they hurt themselves. What Jesus says is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you something different. I'm going to do this by giving you the Holy Spirit, and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit because you believe that this is all true, and you're going to believe that I died on the cross for your sins, and I walked out of the tomb defeating death and defeating sin for you. And then you will be transformed. 
I will tell you as I think about our this transition, and honestly, it probably aren't going to experience a full return to things that we might like to be doing together. That's probably going to be sometime this fall, I hope. As I struggle through this, I'm asking the question, what does it look like for a church to really believe? To not be afraid to admit our faults. For people to be drawn to the power that's evident within our lives because we know Jesus is real and we know that the Holy Spirit is real within us. What does it look like for us to love one another and for that to be our outreach? What does it look like for us to be the church as the New Testament talked about? which the pastor isn't the person who kind of oversees everything, but instead every member of the body works and makes the body better. We're going to see more faces doing more things. What does it look like to come out of struggle to demonstrate joy? Because remember, joy is a liquid. Happiness is a solid. Joy is the thing that has room for hardship. Happiness doesn't does it look like? I would leave you with the question this week to really stop and to think and ask yourself, do I really believe? Did this stuff really happen? Because if ultimately I don't, this is all a waste of time. But if I do, how does God want to change me? How am I changed? I will Again, tell you, as much as I would like to say every day I feel this resurrection power within me, there are many days I do not. It is a struggle. I asked our small group once, what would it look like if God spoke to you? Does God ever speak to you and say you did something good? And no one in our group raised their hand. No, the only time I ever feel like God is saying to me is when he's telling me I'm doing something wrong. I will tell you that is not my experience with Jesus. There are times when my nature changes and the way I would naturally respond changes and I say, God, thank you. And I, Not that he's like in the seat next to me and says, good job, Mark. I mean, that's not what I mean, but I do believe there are times that the Spirit says within me, that was good. It was encouraging. Let me encourage you does it look like for you to really believe and to have this power within you? Let's be that moving forward. Father, God, I pray that you would free us from the thinking that this is all just a belief system. You would free us from the belief that you aren't doing something supernatural within us. I I pray that you would change us and that we would see it I pray that we would see these worlds connect, this objective and narrative world, and it wouldn't just be about behavior modification, but we would see that you are working in this world. You are the embodiment of truth. You are the embodiment of love and hope. And let us live in that world, in that knowledge, in that reality. Let the people around us see what you are doing within us. and Let us not be afraid to show them. God, I know you were doing supernatural things in this world. Let us see them. Let us see what is true and what is real. Father, let those who are hurting and are looking for hope find it in you. Let them see it through us. 
We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.